I'm Matt Swain, and you're listening to the Reimagining Communications podcast, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges facing companies on the road to optimizing their communications for the future. Today, I'm joined by Michael Marks, Head of Research Consulting at Visa. Michael, thanks for joining today. Thank you very much. Good to be here. Michael, tell me a little bit about your role at Visa. Well, Matt, I have a unique role at Visa as I describe myself as the conduit between the resources we have at Visa related to consumers, consumer trends, market research, consumer segments, between all of the resources we have in those areas and our external clients, which are the financial institutions that issue Visa products, the merchant community that accepts them, and the acquire processors that process transactions. So essentially your role is to offer guidance and insight into the ways that banks, merchants, acquirers, and those other stakeholders can better interact with their customers? Absolutely. Since I specialize in the consumer view of the business, it allows us to provide some guidance for our partners about how they can be more effective with consumers as a whole and segments specifically in product development, communications, marketing content development, channel decisions and so forth, and looking at their business perhaps in a little bit different way than other resources at Visa provide. I love this and I love your background because this is where I've I've spent a lot of time as well. Ultimately, you're, you're just trying to be the best partner possible, and you're trying to help these customers think differently about how to problem solve for that consumer base, right? Absolutely. And the key thing you said is the exact thing that I do, which makes my job, as I always tell everybody, the most fun job at Visa. I look at my role as trying to get our partners to think differently about the issues that they face and perhaps give them some guidance in areas that they might not have thought of before. And when you're able to get something of an aha moment with a client, that's what makes what I do personally worthwhile. And the aha moments, how are those coming about? Can you speak a little bit to the the way that you're gathering that information? One of my major jobs at these is to produce content. So I write a lot of of presentations and decks on issues that sometimes come from interactions with our clients and sometimes that I think of myself that I think maybe would be of importance that they not necessarily haven't thought of. And so in producing this content, I really try to go into the engagements, as I said before, to give them a different view of their problems. And the way I do this is with one guiding principle, which is getting partners to to take a more holistic view of the customer. There tends to be, in every entity's business, a focus on asking questions that are, how do I get my customers to use my products or services more? What can I do to make my products or services better? How are my customers reacting to the experience they have with my products and services. And what I try to do is get 
our partners to look at the consumer more holistically and ask a different question, which is not how in the case of, let's say, a payments issuer, how can I make my customer's payments life better? But how can I make my customer's overall life better by using the products and services that I happen to specialize in? So if it's an issuer, it's payments products. And if it's a merchant, it's obviously a whole host of products, whether it's travel products or retail products and, or gasoline products or food products or so forth. And so that's really my mission, which is to get partners to think more broadly about their customers and not just in that narrow lane of the products or services that that particular partner offers. So that actually aligns with some of the research that I've been doing around customer experience. And, and ultimately, it's the, the commentary is it's not just about how do I compare to my peers, it's how do I compare to the last best experience that that customer received. And, and I've got to imagine that that's part of your angle in trying to show that it's more than just about what, what we as Visa do with you. It's about how you're thinking differently about progressing that relationship into the future. Absolutely. It's really designed to get them to think of their customers not as payment mechanisms or purchasers of hamburgers or purchasers of airline tickets, but as people who you want to help maximize the quality of their life. And if you understand the stresses that people have in their lives, the goals they have in their lives, and those kinds of issues, you can, in my opinion, be more effective in designing products, communication channels, communication, content, marketing approaches to fit what you happen to be offering in the world to the larger picture of the consumer's or your customer's life. I love it. So on that note, Michael, you said to me earlier that you're you're on a client tour, if you will, talking about customer interaction trends being driven by these younger consumers. Can you talk a little bit about the key trends that, that you're seeing and the stories that you're bringing to your client base? This tour we do twice a year. We go to 25 different issuer clients, merchant clients, and some of our acquired clients, and give them an economic update and what I call a consumer update. And this time, I'm going to focus on what I see as some of the driving trends going forward in the overall marketplace, largely being driven by younger consumers. And I'm going to be discussing three individual trends, things that I hope they can take action on quickly. And the three trends are the first being immediacy. Everything is just in time. Everything needs to happen fast. The second trend that we're seeing in the marketplace is what I call the visualization life, no longer learning by the use of words, sentences, and paragraphs, being that pretty much everybody is a gamer, that people are learning through visual cues rather than through text cues. And the third trend we're seeing in the marketplace, especially driven by young consumers, is the desire for personalized experiences. As young people ask every entity, you know all this about me because you have a lot of my data. Why are you providing me with generic solutions to my 
issues or problems or desires? Why can't you use that information to tailor offerings, promotions, reward offerings, and so forth to me? So immediacy, visualization, gamification, and personalization, I think are three important trends we're seeing in the marketplace. I'd love to start on the personalization point because we just ended there. For personalization trends, it it feels like it used to be that if you personalize the experience, it was a, kind of a nice extra, right? And and now I feel like an unpersonalized relationship is is truly a, a tick against the brand because there's an expectation that you have all this data. Why wouldn't you use the data to customize that experience for me? Is is that fair? Absolutely. Young people understand what I call the give-to-get mentality, which is if I give you all this information about me, I don't mind giving up a little bit of my privacy in order to get something in return. And that, again, could be an offer or a promotion or something. But, and it's important to note, and I (laughs) warn our clients, the old paradigm is not going away. Older consumers look at this with a lot more skepticism than young consumers do because they feel like this kind of usage of the data is an imposition into their privacy. Sure. They feel that Big Brother may be watching them. And in fact, they are actually uncomfortable. Even though it might be to their benefit, they're uncomfortable with the process. And so in this environment today, it's important to understand there's going to be a lot of customers who really want this personalization process to go forward, but there's a large group of consumers, especially older consumers, who are skeptical, worried, and to some degree creeped out by this potential process. That's always a tough balance to strike. It also comes back to persona building and understanding which of your end customers want that heavy personalization and and which would prefer just first name personalization and nothing more. Well, actually, there are two groups that we see in doing the research that are most personalization amenable. One we've already talked about, which is younger consumers. But the second is affluent consumers. So how do we back that desire for personalization into the second trend that you had mentioned, which was visualization and gamification? Is there a component that is leveraging the personalization to create a more gamified experience? Well, when we look at it that way, if you say, I'm going to personalize an experience, using some of the other desires fits very much into it. For example, visualization and gamification. If you can make an experience fun and to some degree a game, you can enhance the possibility that consumers are going to find that to be appealing and loyalty building. Let me continue to backtrack to immediacy. So from an immediacy perspective, can you dive a little bit deeper into what you're seeing there? Well, what we're seeing is when you understand the trends that we're seeing in the marketplace, you see entities realizing that they have to change their service paradigm. Younger consumers pray for and expect immediate response. So how that translates into delivering service. Now the definition for good customer service among younger consumers is not 
the, that friendly interaction. It's not something being solved in a reasonable period of time. What it is is I expect the entities with which I deal to be available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And so entities have to now are bifurcated and they need to have these protocols that both still accommodate, for the most part, older consumers who want service delivered in the older paradigm and younger consumers who want this immediacy dominated interaction with, again, every entity with which they deal. I think the the points around customer service and, and self-service are really important. You think about the cards that you interact with, whether it's dispute a charge. That's Obviously, that's one that people often are, are calling their credit card companies about. It, the, the opportunity to drive that dispute through a text-based interaction and maybe even have some AI in the background, it's not a live agent, but it, it, you're still getting the responses that you're looking for, really creates opportunity to reduce costs for that business as well. And again, it can be done on a Tuesday at two in the morning. <laughs> That's the other thing. The only thing we have to watch out for is there are regulations in the banking universe about the communication channels that you can use to do certain types of financial transactions and financial interactions. You have to look at what the regulatory situation is in your particular circumstance in order to determine what you can resolve via a text interaction and what you have to resolve via another channel. Great point. Since you're focusing on financial institutions on that comment, are there variations in these trends, immediacy, visualization, personalization by industry? Well, I think there is, there are variations, but mostly it's the willingness to A, assume risk and to be a leader and to make the investments. And in the area that I work in, financial services, and I was in financial services with a major financial institution before I joined Visa, financial service institutions tend to be risk averse and risk averse meaning they don't want to be first. They want to be what we call in business jargon, fast followers. Yep. And so as I go around the country and say pretty much what I'm saying here on this podcast, and they nod their heads and I feel really good that they're hearing what I'm saying, but I leave knowing that chances are they're going to end up saying, the ideas sound good, but let's see what the folks across the street do so we can learn from their mistakes and then commence on the initiatives to do it. And so in the financial services space, things tend to be slower. We're seeing a bit more aggressiveness in industries such as hospitality, where more and more of those entities are saying, how do we differentiate ourselves? And one of the ways they're doing so is through personalization initiatives, making the interaction with their customers more frictionless, faster, and less human in certain ways that many consumers like. They don't want to stand in a check-in line and greet a smiling check-in agent. They just as soon go to the kiosk or even get a digital key before they even arrive at the hotel 
so that they can just walk in and walk directly to their room. So financial services tend to be a little bit farther behind for a number of reasons, but we do see other industries having embraced some of these principles and as a result, increasing loyalty among their customer base. So there's also a piece of what you just said where you have the consumer or customer desire for self-service, but then you, you probably also have clients that, that talk about the importance of the first impression and, and the value of that person that greets you at the door. And how do you help your clients navigate that expectation for strong personal customer service with the expectation of the consumer to bypass that, that interaction? And that is the most difficult question out there because I have to stand in front of a group of people and say, I am telling you, you need to invest in these new protocols to be relevant with a significant segment of your present and future customer base. But at the same time, you have to maintain your existing protocols (laughs) because you have a huge segment of your customer base who prefers that type of interaction. One thing we've seen in the financial services space where face-to-face interaction is still desired. And in financial services, it is the account opening process. However, once you get through these initial trust building stages like opening an account, then the need to continue to deal with an actual individual, whether face-to-face or voice-to-voice, diminishes. That's a great point. I I think about my relationship with my insurance companies. And and that's one where they give me a call and say, hey, we'd love to have you come in and sit with us for an hour and talk about your insurance coverage. And I I would say, why would I ever do that? Right. What why would I come spend an hour with you to talk about my coverage? If you have if you have some suggestions, shoot me a note about it and I'll let you know. But I do think there's that balance where there are there are certain markets and opportunities or points in that that customer journey where it's really helpful to have that personal interaction, but then I don't I don't need to have that personal relationship beyond that point. Absolutely. And I think that's what every commercial enterprise has to figure out where face-to-face is still the most appropriate, most desired, and those areas where the customers prefer that different channel of interaction. And it's to some degree trial and error. It's to some degree doing what I do, which is trying to look at the larger marketplace. When you understand what entities who are not really in your line of product or service area and learn from what they're doing, you can apply some of those lessons to your particular business. Great point. So, Michael, if we look down the road three, five, ten years out, how do you expect these market trends to evolve? I always love that question. I get that question a lot. And I always tell everybody the same thing. It is fun to try to predict the longer, the medium and longer term future. What's the world going to look like in 10 years? And I can do that as well as anybody in terms of talking. But one thing I've learned from being in the business a long time that predicting is easy, predicting correctly is really hard. 
And one of the reasons why that's the case is because you never know what unexpected shock is going to upend the consumer trends that you see in the marketplace. And that's why I tend to talk about the nearer term, the six month, one year time frame rather than the longer time frame. <laughs> yeah, and and that's that's a great angle because you look at a lot of these forecasts that people put out and you you check over the years to see how accurate they they have been. And and I would be one of those that's been forecasting for different markets. And you're right, there are there are a lot of outside factors that that change the the trajectory of that forecast and would have would have probably changed your your original modeling had you known. Well, Michael, thank you so much for the engaging discussion today. Thanks for having me. I'm Matt Swain, and you've been listening to the Reimagining Communications podcast. If you like this episode and think someone else would too, please share it, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe. To learn more about Broadridge, our insights, and our innovations, visit broadridge.com or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn.